The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. On a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and the people there were observing him carefully. He told a parable to those who had been invited, noticing how they were choosing the places of honor at the table. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not recline at table in the place of honor. A more distinguished guest than you may have been invited by him, and the host who invited both of you may approach you and say, give your place to this man, and then you would proceed with embarrassment to take the lowest place. Rather, when you are invited, go and take the lowest place so that when the host comes to you, he may say, my friend, move up to a higher position. Then you will enjoy the esteem of your companions at table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he said to the host who invited him, when you hold a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your wealthy neighbors in case they may invite you back and you have repayment. Rather, when you hold a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Blessed indeed will you be because of their inability to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I got to thinking, this, this scene that Luke paints for us of all of these guests at this dinner scrambling to get the place of honor, the best seat in the house, it got me to thinking about the TV show The Office. How many of you have seen The Office before? A few of you? Most, half of us, maybe? Okay. It got me to thinking about The Office, and especially the episodes around Pam and Jim's wedding. Now, if you know these episodes, Pam and Jim want to get married, but they want to keep it a secret where they're going to get married because they are afraid of what? That their office mates are going to show up. <laughs> they're really afraid of this. But word gets out of where they're going, and their boss, Michael Scott, closes the office. They all invite themselves, and they show up to the wedding, and it is exactly as Jim and Pam feared. They hijack the whole thing, and they make it all about themselves. And the epitome of it, sort of the pinnacle of the whole thing, I think, is the wedding procession. That's what the picture is here. Pam is just about ready to walk down the aisle, and they take over the wedding procession, and they make it all about them. Those of you who haven't seen it, The Office is one of these kind of newer kinds of sitcoms. It's called a mockumentary. The premise is that there's a film crew going around to this ordinary office, the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, and it's just filming what happens in this office. And every once in a while, they'll stop and they'll interview someone. And of course, the characters on the show know that they're being filmed, everything that they do. And so sometimes something happens in the office and they, they kind of just look straight into the camera like, what, what happened there? The reason why the show is so popular, I think, why, why it's so funny, is because it's actually so awkward. <laughs> it's so cringy, right? And we, we we, people who watch it love the characters because they will look at these office characters and go, man, it kind of reminds you of people you work with. <laughs> but also, I think the real truth is we see a little bit of ourselves in these characters. 
because we feel like the camera's always on us. And we're worried about how we look. And it leaves us rather awkwardly insecure. And at the same time, of course, we know we shouldn't be like that, that that's, that's, that's shallow and that's vain. And to be honest, it's completely exhausting to be on camera all the time. It has been said that there are three versions of every person. The version of you others think you are, the version of you you think you are, and the version of you God knows you are. The problem with one, of t- one and two, what others think and what you think, of course, is that it's not the real you. What I mean is it's not the whole you. I mean, there's bits and pieces of you that's in there, but there's also all the <laughs> pretending we do, the way we try to impress others, the way we project ourselves, right? It's not the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the reason why this game is so exhausting is because you find yourself emotionally pinging back and forth, right? If you care about what other people think, well, when they praise you, it inflates you. When they criticize you, it deflates you. If you're really worried about what you think, you look in the mirror, and one minute you're like, yeah, looking good, man. And the next minute you look in the mirror, and you're like, you're an idiot. You're a horrible, terrible person. Jesus wants to set us free. His parables today are not about going to parties and throwing parties and what's the proper social etiquette for these things. No, no, no. Jesus wants to set you free to be who you really are. But that means that we have to place ourselves before God and the version of you that he knows you are. That's not inflated, but it's not deflated. Instead, it's related to him. A preacher that I love listening to, he put it this way. He says, God can only love the real you, right? He can't love a false version of you because God is truth and there's nothing false in him. So he said, you know, here's the problem. If you spend all of your time on the version of you that others think you are or all of your time on the version of you that you think you are, you're spending all of your time on a version of you that God can't really love because it's not the real you. It's not, it's not the whole truth. We need the version that God knows we are. But that's terrifying, isn't it? That's terrifying. Because God is not going to be Bruno's Mar- Bruno Mars and he's crooned to you, you know, you're so amazing just the way you are. Oh, you're just so perfect. You're fine. You're good. It's no, God knows everything. He knows the mess that I am. He knows my sins and my failures, the times I've fallen flat on my face, the times that I've hurt him deeply, the times that I've hurt you deeply. He knows and he sees it all. But you see, that's also liberating. I mean, why pretend? What do you need to pretend for? There's no reason to hide. God already sees everything. He sees the mess that I am. But he sees more than that. He sees you. He sees you, a person that he dearly loves. He sees you, a person that he will not give up on. He sees you and says... You are a person I am willing to die for. 
God sees you through his cross, right? You want to look into the mirror? Here's the real mirror, friends. It's right there. It's hanging right in front of us, the cross, the crucifix. There's the mirror. Look in the mirror and see yourself because that's you, right? I mean, that's you and me. That's my sin. That was supposed to be me because of what I've done. And at the same time, of course, it's not me. It's him. And that's how I see how much I'm loved, that he would do that for me. We have to place ourselves before the cross. That's why we're here this morning, to put ourselves underneath the cross. This is the lowest place. This is the lowest seat in the house that Jesus is talking about. And we know that because, see, he took the seat first, didn't he? He comes down from heaven, from his throne on high, and he makes himself nothing, and he suffers death on a cross. This is the lowest place in the universe. This is the place of sin, of death, of hell itself. And God the Father looks down on him, and he sees the sins of the world on his shoulders. But the Father also looks down on him and says, this is my beloved son whom I love. And the Father says, I'm not leaving you down there in the lowest seat. He raises him up and exalts him and puts him at the highest seat at his right hand in heaven on the throne for the feast, for the wedding banquet, for the great dinner. Jesus in these parables is not talking about having dinner at your buddy's house. He's talking about the feast of heaven. He's talking about the feast of heaven. And who did he invite? the poor, and the lame, and the crippled, and the blind. People who couldn't pay him back and invite them to their heaven because they don't have one. People who, Pastor Veith made you know, a great point as he and I were discussing the text this week. He said, you know, these are the kind of people like, they can't get to the table. They need somebody to help them get to the table. They're poor and lame and crippled and blind. People who need total mercy and total grace and the total favor of God. People like you and me. What Jesus says to do, he says, take the lowest seat, invite the nobodies. This is exactly what he's done. And he invites us to do the same. He invites us to do the same because this is the feast. We are at the wedding feast of heaven here on earth. That's what the Eucharist is all about, my friends. So what's the lowest seat in the house? It's not the back row, you good Lutherans, that think the back row is the lowest seat in the house, right? No. Pastor Veith talked about this last week. It's right here. Here's the lowest seat in the house, in the confessional. And here's the mirror, waiting for us to look in the mirror and to speak the truth. I am a poor, miserable sinner. I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Ah, but we avoid this room. Mm. You know, what if somebody saw me come in here and saw me go into confession? What would they think about me? What's the pastor going to think if I tell him I did X, Y, and Z? What, what do I think about myself if I have to actually confront that and admit it and deal with it? Why do we care about what other people think? 
or about what we think. There we go again, being preoccupied with ourselves. The camera's on me. Why do we care about what God thinks and what he sees? Yes, he sees the poor, miserable sinner that he loves, the one that he's redeemed, you and me. And what does Jesus do? Does Jesus leave us in the low seat? No, 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 no. He comes and he gets us at the lowest seat and says, no, 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 you come on up here. You come to the highest seat right here next to me. Sit right, right there at my right hand. There's your place because you're my honored guest. You're my best friend. You're my best man. You're my maid of honor. You're, you're the bride. You are the beloved. This is where I want you to be. That's the version of you God knows. Yes, the sinner, but by his grace also the saint, his friend. And when you come to figure that out for yourself, when you actually believe that, one of the little fringe benefits is you won't care anymore what everybody else thinks. You don't care about even what you think about yourself. You will only care about what he thinks, and that sets you free. And you probably are going to be more likely to go out from here and invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind because you know they're people just like you and you want to give to them what you've received. And at the resurrection, you'll be rewarded for that. And what's the reward? The reward is that we're all there. Everyone. We're all right there at his right hand in the seat of honor. 